0: I want to ask you, if uh, you've been here before, you know we do this sometimes, and we're just going to bow our heads and spend a moment praising the Lord. If you're comfortable doing this, lift your face and your hands toward heaven. Lord, we praise your name. We love you and adore you. God the Father, we love you, we adore you, we praise you. Sweet Holy Spirit who lives in us and who is in this room, we love you and we praise you. And Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the King of kings, Lord of lords, we love you, we lift you up. And we pray in this next hour, as we continue in this hour, that we'll lift you up, Jesus, and you'll draw people to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Yes, give Justin and the band a hand for a wonderful job. (laughs) <laughs> what, a, what a good start, great start to our morning. Well, I hope everyone's doing well, and if you're watching online, we welcome you and hope everyone's having a, uh, had a great weekend, and I'm glad to have you here with us. <clears throat> How many of you know what a Rolex watch is? You don't have to raise your hand. If you have one on, though, when the offering plate's pass, be sure and either put that in the offering plate or put a lot of money in there. Rolexes are pretty expensive. I looked online this week and the, the lowest dollar one I could find was $5,000, the new ones. And the average one's going to be twelve dollars $15,000, $20,000. They're, you know, like Melissa and Justin wearing, but most of us around here don't have the money for that. A couple years ago, I'm online, I'm surfing around, and I see an ad for $99.99, $99.99 99 Rolex watches. I said, wow, that's awesome. You know, get your Rolex for a hundred dollars, and I kept reading. You know, and it wasn't stolen. and And as farther I read, it it said these are genuine replicas. You know what that means? It, it it's a it's a oxymoron. It means it's a genuine fake. It's a genuine. It wasn't a real Rolex. I mean, you wouldn't have been a brain surgeon or a watch specialist to have known that anyway, but. A genuine replica is a genuine fake. And this morning in John 1, we're going to look at genuine followers of Jesus Christ. We started a series four weeks ago called Kickoff. And it's the kickoff of Jesus' introduction to the world from the gospel of John. And we started off the first week and it talked about who Jesus is. He's eternal. He's the creator. He's God. The next week we came back, he's God in the flesh. He came to show us grace and and truth and pour grace all over us. Last week, we looked at how do you find this Jesus? You find him by receiving him, believing in him, and receiving him into your life. And this morning, this is really cool. We're going to look at the the first people who ever became Christians, the first two guys that ever followed Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat? It it really is kind of neat how it happened, what happened, and what they did, because it's very, very significant to us. Now, there'd there'd be a 50-point sermon on genuine followers of Christ. We're just going to look at a couple, so don't panic. But I want to begin with this, asking you a question. Are you genuinely following Jesus? We could word it another way. Are you a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, or are are you, or, or am I, are we just a replica? Are we a... A, a fake copy of the real thing. We're in John 1, verse 35 through 42 is our primary text. And I want to begin with a question to kind of help us answer this. Has there ever been a starting point with you following Jesus? Has, has, has there ever been a time that you can look back and say, this, yes, I followed Jesus this happened in this story. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, it's interesting. This story told in John chapter 1, it, it, it mentions four consecutive days. This is the second of those consecutive days. This John here is John the Baptist. And it's Andrew and John, who going, God's going to use to write this gospel, who are standing there with him. They are disciples of John before their disciples of Jesus and if you're taking notes man obviously a super important word in the New Testament is the word disciple. Disciple means a learner, but it means a follower. Listen, in American Christianity, we I'm afraid we have a culture of learner Christians versus following Christians. Uh, a disciple is a learner, but they are one who follows their master, they obey. That's the, the key difference in a real one and a fake one. In verse 36, John looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, "Behold the lamb. Of God. Now, that's significant, but I'm going to help you understand the significance more. Go back to verse 29. We'll have it on the screen for you. It says, the next day, this was the day before, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what John the Baptist was saying. John the Baptist, when Jesus came by, he said, guys, whoa, stop. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the guy that will provide forgiveness for you, a fresh start. a better life, and eternal life. When he said the the Lamb of God is coming by, hey, that was an attention getter, and it got these guys' attention. In verse 37, the two disciples, Andrew and John, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Again, the word followed, a huge word, if you're taking notes. It means not only to go with someone, like I'm going to follow them to the kitchen or whatever, but it, 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 biblically, it means to cleave to them. When they decided to follow Jesus here, as simple as it may read in our Bibles, this was life-changing. They were making a decision to trust and obey Jesus. To follow Jesus is to trust him and obey him, and that is exactly what these guys were doing. In verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, it's interesting. John is a Jewish man, and he's writing to a Greek audience. And he and he translates these words for the audience. Rabbi was a, a, a teacher. That's the Hebrew, the Jewish word. And he lets them know in the Greek, this is a teacher. Now, disciples literally followed they're masters. I make our staff around here follow me around. They are about five paces behind. Braden has to follow Josh ten paces, I think. But they follow. They literally follow their teacher. So Jesus is walking, and he senses these guys are following. And he turns around, and he asks them. It's it's really a kind question. He says, "Hey guys, what do y'all? What do you want? Did they want a coke? That was like." 1,800 years before Coke, but Jesus could have made it happen. Did they want something to eat? Did they need advice? Did they need direction? Jesus wanted to know. Hey, and you know this morning, I bet Jesus, if you're listening, is trying to whisper in your heart and saying, what do you really want? No, you're not being ugly. I mean, you're just in a bad spot and you need a little help. You need, you know, prayer for a test tomorrow. He wants to help you and pray for you. but, but, But they wanted more than that. They said, where are you staying? Where are you staying? In other words, they're saying, Jesus, we wanna go with you. And look what in verse 38, Jesus said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now the 10th hour to the Romans was 10 in the morning to the Jewish people, it was four in the afternoon. And John uses the Roman and the the Jewish times kind of interchangeably so we really don't know and it really doesn't matter. But here's what's cool. They followed Jesus, and when it says they stayed with him, they clung to him. This was a life-changing decision. And I want you to think about this, that I've read this, it's no telling how many times I've read this, I missed it till this week. John is writing this 60 years later, 65 years later. He may be 85 or 90 when he's writing this. But he says, it was the second day at the 10th hour when we follow Jesus. As an older man, 60 plus years later, he never forgot the day and the time he followed Jesus. I wanna ask you this morning, when did you follow Jesus? Now, being baptized is great, being confirmed is great, being sprinkled is great, joining the church is great, we are for all that, but, but that's, not, that's not following Jesus. Those are things that should happen after you follow Jesus. Christian, are you saying that you got to know the exact day, the exact hour that you became a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. I've heard some preachers, I, I think, you know, you better know what shirt you had on and who was singing and what was the invitation song. No, but listen, if Jesus Christ changed your life like he did John, you ought to remember when that happened. This older man in his 90s remembered it was the second day at the 10th hour we followed Jesus. When did you follow Jesus? When did you give Jesus your life? How many of you remember your birthday? Please raise your hand or I'm gonna think you're really dishonest or I'm preaching to a really simple crowd this morning. Men, this is just for men. Men, you remember when you got married? Some of you I'm gonna call out, raise your hand. The year, Trady, you remember the year, okay? Brandon, you remember the month? Merrick, you remember the day? I got married on July the 4th, I'll never forget it. I got married on that day so I could remember I lost my independence on Independence Day, <laughs> July the 4th. We even put it on my ring July the 4th. Here's the point. You remember significant days, amen? How many of you have graduated from school? College, high school, whatever. You know what, I may not remember the days, but I can give you the years and the months because they were significant. You don't have to know the exact hour, but when did you follow Christ? When did it happen? It should be such a life-changing event that you can remember it. Here's the second question for many of us who are Christians. How, are, are you still following Jesus well today? Are you genuinely following Jesus well today? Remember that word follow in verse 37 means to cleave to, to place your faith and trust that changes your life. And this is real important. Folks, becoming a Christian and following Christ is not just a get out of hell card free, and then we can go live and do anything we want the rest of our lives. True following Christ changes our lives imperfectly, but we genuinely continue on a pattern of following Christ. Let me ask you today, is that you? Can you look back at at when you were 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, or 40 and say, yes, I crossed the line with Christ. And since then, it's been imperfect, but I have tried to follow him well. Many of you can. Some of us can't. And I would say that that should be a, a, a stop moment where you reflect and go, have I ever really followed Christ? Because, see, the Bible says those who follow Jesus genuinely will continue to follow him the rest of their life imperfectly, they're going to struggle, but they will. Maybe it's a sign to you or me this morning that we never belong to Christ. But many of us are Christians. I would ask if you're a Christian, you know I'm following Christ. How's your walk with him today? There's a very simple definition of the word backslider. We always think of the backslider as the person who's doing great with God and then they're out partying and doing drugs and all that. But the simple definition of backsliding, if you've ever been closer to God, than you are right now. You've backslidden, you've, you've moved away. Revelation chapter two, verse four and five, a very poignant passage, but I have this complaint against you. This is God speaking. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. He's not saying you're not a Christian or you don't have a relationship with me. He's just saying, Your walk with me is not what it once was. You can win arguments, you carry an 80-pound Bible, all that's great, but you don't love me and you don't love people like you once did. And you better repent or I'm coming with the paddle is basically what he's saying. Two questions, are you a genuine follower? And if you are, how is your following today? Both of those things, we can fix those before the hour's over if you'll let God fix them. The very first people who became Christians, it was an identifiable, life-changing event for them. Here's the second question for us, and I think this helps us understand where we are with Christ. When we're genuinely following Jesus, we want to bring other people to him. We want to bring other people to him. Now, again, I've said this several times. Get a a hold to this. This is the story of the first Christians, first converts to Jesus. And what we're fixing to see is the first thing they did after they got saved. And it's stunning because it's not what most of us would have thought that they did. It's stunning what they did, but it's hugely significant. In verse 40, one of those who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew is a, man, he is a bit player in the New Testament. He is not a main character at all, but man, does he make an impact. In verse 41, it says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He He found Jesus And the first thing he did when he got away from Jesus, the first thing he did after following Jesus, guys and girls, listen. He didn't go have a praise time. Praise times are great. He didn't download the best sermons off of YouTube, which are great to do. You know what he did? He went and found his brother. And the word in your Bible is found there means he had to search for him. He had to make an effort that wasn't that like Peter was just right there. I mean, he had to search and go find his brother. And he said, we have found the Messiah. Again, he's talking, that's Hebrew, Messiah, Greek. is the Christ. And the Messiah is the anointed one of God. The Jewish people were looking. Again, that's the Lamb of God, the one who's going to be the Savior and come and save them and be God to them. We found him. Look in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. The word brought there means to lead or to lead gently. You would had to have led Peter gently, wouldn't you? He brought him to Jesus, and the verbiage, listen to this, is he brought Peter to Jesus, and Peter was a little bit resistant. How many of you know much about Peter in the New Testament? Can't you imagine he was resistant? (laughs) But even though he didn't, he was hesitant. He was hesitant, we would say, about coming to church or going to hear the sermon or following Jesus. Andrew just kept gently after he searched out to find him. First thing he did, he brought him to Jesus. Look what it says and Jesus looked at him. That phrase literally means that Jesus looked in his eyes and Jesus saw his heart, he saw who he was, he saw his potential. He says, your name is Simon. Simon was a Hebrew name. Now, this is interesting. Jesus was probably trilingual. He would have known Hebrew. That was his history. They, they, spoke, they spoke Aramaic, which was kind of a uh, spin-off of Hebrew. But they also probably knew Greek because they lived in a Greek culture. And it's pretty significant here. He says, your name is Simon. That's your, your Greek Hebrew name. You shall be called Cephas, that's Aramaic. And Cephas and Peter mean the same thing. Peter's just the Greek word. And and Peter, the word Peter literally means rock. And, and, and in the, the Greek language, there was a word for the, the big, we would say the big, gigantic rock. And, and then there was a word for a firm, smaller piece of rock. That is the word here. And at this time in his life, Peter, Peter didn't always display firmness, did he? <laughs> he would deny Jesus, he would go up and he would go up and down. But I want you to get a hold of this. When Jesus looked in Peter's eyes, he didn't just see who he was, he saw who he could be. Isn't that awesome? Some of you need to quit looking at people for who they are and start looking for who they can be. But I wanna tell you something awesome this morning. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't just see who you are, he sees who you can be, wow. Michelangelo was the great uh, sculptor, artist, One time he had this gigantic block of marble and he was chipping away at it. And of course, it looked terrible at that time. And someone came by and said, Michael, Angel, what are you doing? That looks horrible. That's just a big old ugly piece of rock. And listen to what he said. This is so awesome. He goes, you see a big ugly piece of rock. I see an angel inside of that rock. You just see a slab of marble. I see a masterpiece. Listen, quit worrying what other people think about you and how they see you. And know when Jesus looks at you, he sees you for your potential. Isn't that wonderful? He brought him to him. Verse 43 through 46, the kind of story continues. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's just slamming Jesus' hometown. Philip said, hey, you come and see for yourself. Hey, guys, the first people who became disciples, they didn't start breaking down Hebrew and Greek words. They didn't argue theology. They didn't try to win you to their view. You know what they did? They went and found the people closest to them and brought them to Jesus Christ. Is that not wonderful? So here's what I want to tell you this morning. This is what we're supposed to be doing. If you're not a Christian, man, we're so glad you're here today or you're watching online because we hope we can help bring you to Christ today. If you are a Christian, maybe this will be a test where you can look and go, you know what? If this is part of the gig, I've missed Christ. Maybe. Maybe the reason you don't do this is you don't know him. But if you are a Christian, I hope I can light a fire. God will use me to light a fire in your heart this morning to see that people who really find Christ never want to keep him to themselves. I want to give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, it's your duty. It's your duty to bring people to Christ if you're a Christian. It's my duty. Well, it's the preacher's duty. It's your duty too. It's absolutely your duty. If you're taking notes in Luke 9 23, Luke 9 23. No, excuse me, Luke 19.10. Luke 9.23 is a great verse too, but it's different. Luke 19.10, Jesus lists one of his three or four purposes from coming to heaven to earth. He goes, I have come to to seek and to save those who are lost. In Romans 10.14, listen to what it says. We got this for the screen. It's such an important verse. Romans 10, 14, but how can someone call on someone to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? I don't know why God wrote the rules this way, but God wrote the rules is that somebody's got to share the message. Years ago, in movie theaters, there used to be ushers. Are any of y'all old enough to remember that? Ushers in the movie theaters? Well, and they wore these little costumes and their job was to kind of shh, kids and get on the kids, but they were supposed to help you find a seat and like things of, like the movie theater caught on fire to help you get out, things like that. And this manager was interviewing a potential candidate for an usher's job. And he asked him, you know, he's giving him to him all he needed to do and, and, you know, how you play out this scenario, that scenario. And he asked him, if the theater catches on fire, what are you going to do? And the, the young guy looked at him and said, Don't worry about me. I'll get out fine. I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians that are living that way. We're just, hey, we, we know we're going to heaven. We love our Bible study. We love our group and all that's fine. But we have forgotten about everybody else. Something's wrong with that. Listen, evangelism or bringing Jesus to people connects almost better than anything else to, to everything in your life. Think about it your home, your extended family, where you work. You're a teacher, you're a coach, you're a business person, you're a doctor, a lawyer, you're a student. Where you go to school, all kinds of people that you can share Jesus. Where you live, your dorm, your apartment, your neighborhood, in our city. Everywhere you go, you have an opportunity to help other people come to Christ. C.S. Lewis was a great English writer and he became a Christian as an adult and he's a very profound thinker. And he said this, he goes, as a Christian, our primary duty is to bring glory to God. And he said, there's no way we bring glory to God better than by bringing people to Jesus. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I, I, okay, but it's in the top two or three. It's our duty. I'm let me give you a second thing. It's our, it should be your passion. It, it should be your passion to help people come to Jesus Christ. It's not only a duty, it's a passion. What do I mean? I mean, it, it ought to be something that we're burdened about and that we're broken about. If you're taking notes, write this down, Romans 9, 1 through 3. You can read it later. But it's God speaking through Paul, and Paul basically says, if I had to die and go to hell to reach my Jewish people who are rejecting Christ, I'd be willing to do it. That's passion. That's passion. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, listen to what it says. We are God's ambassadors as a Christian. As though God's making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. When was the last time you begged somebody to come to Jesus? I've literally had people tell me, "Any preachers, I wouldn't beg anybody to come to Jesus. Paul said he would. I'll be honest with you, I'd beg you too. I'm begging God for the saints to win tonight, amen? But, hey, I, I, would, I would plead with you to come to Christ. Years ago, there was a pastor in Texas named Bobby Boyles. Bobby told the story. I didn't know him, but, but I, I heard him preach some. He told the story of him and his brothers and their father. Their father was not a Christian. And their father would not respond to Christ. I mean, he just would not respond to Christ. He said, one of his brothers began to pray, God, if I have to die for him to get saved, I'm willing to do that. Bobby said his brother was killed in a car wreck. He said, shortly after that, his dad became a Christian. Am I telling you to pray that? No, I'm not telling you to pray that. I'm just telling you, those guys got it that a 100 years from now, There ain't nothing else going to matter but that you're in heaven and that you have taken as many people with you as you can. It ought to be our passion. Let me give you some encouragement. You can do this. You can help people come to Christ. This is your calling. This is your duty if you're a Christian. Maybe the reason you're not interested in this at all is you don't know Christ. Because people who find Christ want to share Christ. You can do this. I I hear people say, well, it's not my gift. It's not a gifting. In the Bible, it talks about a gift of evangelism, but that's like a Billy Graham. That's like a preacher who comes and does revivals and crusades. The idea of sharing your faith is something all of us are called to do. It is not a gifting. It is is obedience. You can do this. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you can't sing. Amen? Amen? This is a true story. She's not here right now. She'll hear about it. Cindy Hock and Josh, who I love dearly. I was at Cedar Creek praying the other night at a football game, and this, this uh, young lady sang, and she had a beautiful voice. And I said, Well, can I sing? And she prayed. And she said, No, you, your voice is terrible. I was stunned at her, at her honesty. <laughs> It's, you know, not everybody can sing. I mean, sing well. Not everybody can preach. Not, there's, there's different gifts. Not everybody can teach. But everybody can do this. You can do this. I am going to give you four simple things you can do to help people in your world come to Christ. Number one, make a list. Make a list. What do you mean make a list? I'm going to tell you. Go home this afternoon. And you're not being judgmental. But, but write down the names of people that are in your family, that maybe are on your team, that you work with, that, that may not know Christ. And I'm going to tell you a cool story in a moment. Okay, you, you can be wrong here, and that's fine. You will, that list could grow to 100 in, in a few weeks as you write that list down. Make your list. Number two, pray for your list. See, here's where we fail a lot of times we're not praying about these things. You know, when you pray, you get God involved. When you pray, you get God involved. When you get God involved, that's where you have power. I knew a a guy in Texas. Their church was doing kind of a reach other people campaign. And there was somebody that was put on his heart that he barely knew. He wrote this person's name down. And he started, how am I going to reach them? He showed it to his wife. And she said, she got laugh." She goes, how in the world are you going to reach this person? He goes, I don't know. I'm just mad at God. He made me write their name down. But he said he started praying, he started praying, he started praying. Listen to this, within one year, that person was in their church. Now, this is cool. What he found out was that person was a Christian. They just had gotten away from God and gotten out of church. They joined their church, got active in their church. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, when you you get God involved in any of your missions, especially in your mission to reach people, it will amaze you what he will do through you. Write your list and pray for your list. Here's the third thing. Invite people to church. Man, just invite them to church. Well, I don't know how to explain the book of Revelation. Good, nobody else you know does either. I literally had a man tell me one time, Revelation's pretty simple. I said, you're pretty simple. It's not. I didn't say that. I was very Christian. I was like, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Invite people to church. Think how easy that is. And if if you, I hope you, you know, if you come here, I believe this is true about our church. You need to go to a church where Jesus is preached and the Bible's preached. And if you get a person in that church enough where people will love them, be nice to them, they'll hear about Jesus, it's amazing how many will end up coming to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That's one of our purposes. Listen, a church growth institute several years ago interviewed 10,000 people who were in churches. And they asked them, what got you into church? It it, it was amazing. Preacher, like 6%. That was very hurtful. Small groups, just like 2%. I mean, it was low. Special events, 3%. All these things, very low. 79% of the people said, out of 10,000, 79% said, I started going to that church. Many of them, I found Christ because somebody cared enough to invite me to come. Wow. Wow. Here's the fourth thing: share your salvation story. Share your salvation story. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Hey, if you found Christ, just tell them what happened to you. Peter, Andrew didn't go to Peter and say, "Let's talk about the Greek word of Jesus and Messiah and Hebrew and what this means." Even do that, they were fishermen. They weren't theologians. He just said, we have found this guy and we want you to find him too. He will change your life. Tell people your story. Hey, three times in the Bible, very little is mentioned about Andrew, but three times prominent, he brings his brother to Christ. Little boy, you know, the five loaves and the fish, that story where a bunch of people get fed for free, buffet style. It was was Andrew who brought him to Jesus. And later on, there were some Greek people who Andrew brought to Jesus. If you found Jesus, you want to share Jesus. Years ago in India, there was a medical mission group that went in and there was an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor that went there. These people had never heard anything about cataract surgeries. And I'm, I'm certainly not that kind of doctor and I don't know a lot about it, but but I know that a lot of times people had cataracts. It could blind you, but the simple surgery can can free your, your sight. And they didn't know that in India, this place. And, and this doctor came in, and this man who had been blind for about four years, they removed the cataracts, and he could see again. The man thanked him profusely, then he walked his two-week walk back home. About six weeks later, one of the nurses came and said, Doctor, you've got to see this. They looked outside, and here came that man leading a group of people holding a rope. It was 30 blind people who had cataracts. He walked over two weeks with them, carrying that rope, single file. He got there and he said, man, I was blind, but I can see because of what you did. And I want all my friends to be able to see too. The very first followers, genuinely first followers, changed their life. And the first thing they wanted to do was bring as many people along with them as they could. What about you? Maybe the problem is, is you're not a genuine follower. I'm not saying that to kick you. I'm trying to say that. Let's fix that. In a moment when we give the invitation, you come today. Give your life to Christ. Meet me after church over here. One of our ministers. We'll help you find Christ before you leave here. You need Jesus today before you leave here. Before you get offline, you need Jesus. Give your life to him today. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Man, we'd love for you to be a part of our church family and and you can do that after church, or you can come and join us when we stand. We are a church that's going to proudly lift up Jesus, and we're going to try to reach everybody we can for him. If that's what you want, come join us. Many of you know you're Christians today. How is your followership? Are you, are you walking with Christ like you once did? Are, are you helping other people come to Christ, or would you just rather sit around in a Bible study and argue? I love Bible studies, but, man, we've got to move out of those we got, we got to do both. Are you bringing others to Christ? Christian, maybe you want to come pray at the altar for yourself or someone or pray with a minister, but, man, let's get it right with God today. Let's stand. You come now as we sing. I give you my life. I give you my trust. Jesus. Are my love, and you are in love and Take up my cross, Jesus. For You are my God, whatever the cost, Jesus. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment as Justin plays? you're a Christian. Do you feel do you feel like things are right with you and God and if not would you would you make whatever corrections you need to maybe you're here you're watching online and you're ready to genuinely follow Christ if that's you pray with me right now and just say Jesus I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sins Jesus I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, I receive you now into my life, and I surrender my heart to you.